0: The last page has been turned on my most recent read. Bubbles are clinging to the side of a champagne flute because I am celebrating just a few things today. No tea or coffee. I'm enjoying a glass of the good stuff and it's pink. And this week is very special because this is my 100th episode. To everyone from every country who has tuned in at any point, I say grazie, merci, vielen dank, e faristo, obrigada, tag, tak, arigato, gracias, spasibo, shukriya, donobad, shukran, thank you. Without you, this show would have crashed and burned, but here I am almost 2 years later, still going strong and definitely more certain of the direction I'm taking. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. Welcome to the 100th episode of Being Bookish. This week I am going to be taking a look back at the last 99 episodes, talk about the amazing guests I've had on the show and more than that I'm going to be telling you all about my must-buy authors, who they are and why they're on the list. I've also got must-buys from a few fellow podcasters, readers and listeners. You never know, your next favourite book could be in this very episode. When I first started the podcast back in 2020, oh my God, really? It was, we were mid-pandemic. I had been doing a podcast with a co-host for nearly two years, since January 2019, and I decided I wanted to do something on my own. I started with a tiny little podcast called Ray's Reading Room and recorded ad-lib reviews that were spoiler-filled and they just didn't feel right. So after eight weeks, I said bye-bye to Ray's Reading Room and not before coffee was born, I got someone to record me a unique musical intro and outro. I started with my script playing on the fact that I drank so much coffee. It was actually very unhealthy. And anyone who drinks coffee not slamming it because seriously, I only gave up a few months ago, but it made me jittery. It made me irritable. And when I didn't have any, I actually had really bad headaches. So I learned the lesson that it wasn't for me any longer, but I only learned it recently. I started off by reviewing books and film and TV. And if you haven't heard it yet, one of my most popular episodes though for the life of me I don't know why and if somebody's heard it and loves it tell me Lemonade Mouth has gone on to be my most popular episode ever I also had guests on I spoke with people about film I interviewed the author January James about the release of her first book and I also chatted with fellow podcasters such as Chance Whitmore from Strive, Seek, Find. We discussed good omens. I also talked with Lorraine from Once Upon a Nightmare, who has gone on to be an amazing friend and a fantastic supporter and someone who pushes me to be better. So thank you, Lorraine. Seriously, thank you loads, because I don't think I'd have continued if I hadn't had that you know you can do this talk several times in the last two years. Well, the last hundred episodes anyway. I also had Griff from the Paul and Griff show on. I spoke with Ryan and Paul from Cold Callers Comedy about Crazy Stupid Love, which apparently is a film they adore. Not that I don't. I had a friend on to talk about a her life while she was on furlough and also to talk about... Silver Linings Playbook, the film, not the book, though I did discuss the book later on. And of course, Sam from Movie Reviews in 20Qs came on to talk about his brand new book, which was released last year. It was fantastic, and it's a really good read. And through the entire process, I've been introduced to so many fantastic people and some incredible podcasts that I still listen to. Over the last 99 episodes, I've learned a lot about myself, my reading tastes, my movie watching tastes and realised things that I did and didn't want to do. I started off with movies and books. I moved to TV shows and I have to say watching an entire season of a TV show when it was 22 episodes in a week was sometimes more than a person should or could do in order to actually talk about it the following week. I watched way too much TV, way too much. I don't normally, I used to, as a kid I think everybody sat in front of the boob tube and watched until they had to go to bed. I now find that I'd prefer, far prefer to read a book. But I watched entire series and then I realised that I wanted to do more about books. So I started doing books with TV shows. And I can read a book really quickly. Anyone will attest to the fact that I think I probably read more than the average person. Not saying that that's a bad thing or a good thing. Read at your own pace and read what you want to. I just happen to read quite a lot. And I discovered that I loved the reading more than I liked watching the TV shows. So slowly the TV shows were edged out. Then I reintroduced watching films. And then I realised I didn't want to watch the films anymore. I just wanted to read the books. So now that's where you find this show. It is nothing but books. Some point early in the year I realised that actually Not Before Coffee was no longer where I needed to be. The show is still, to all intent and purpose, the same as it was. I'm still the same person I was. But the show needed to change a little bit. And that's when Being Bookish was born. I already had my little mini-me in the form of the little design I have for my logo. But she was still not before coffee. And now she is who she needs to be. Being bookish. Which is, to be fair, what I am at <laughs> all times of the day and every day of the year this could start to sound a bit like a farewell episode (laughs) but it's not I promise I am not going anywhere for the foreseeable who knows what happens what's going to happen in the future I have no idea I don't know what I'm going to be doing next week let alone what I'm going to be doing in 12 months time What I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt is that I will probably still have a very big to be read pile sitting in my living room waiting for me to stop buying new books. I bought 11, no 12 this week and actually read the ones that are already there waiting for me. However, who knows, I could be reading, I could have read all of them by that point, I really couldn't say. I just know that I have a problem when it comes to buying books. I struggle to resist it. I went on a book buying ban for a couple of months because that's all I lasted, a couple of months. However, I'm quite proud of the discipline that I showed in not buying new books for that couple of months. If you've been listening to my show for a while, then you'll know that there are authors I have revisited a few times during the podcast. And if I am being completely honest, there are a number I own multiple books by. However, that doesn't mean they're necessarily my must buy authors. So, what exactly do I mean by a must buy? Everyone has their own definition. For me, a must-buy is an author whose books I will pre-order months in advance because it gives me something to look forward to. When one of my friends asked me recently... I have six, how do I decide who my favourite is? I said that there is nothing wrong with having multiple favourites. I'm a perfect example of that. In fact, as I've said, I know plenty of readers who can't definitively say, I'll pick that book over that one or that author over that one. However, if you do want to determine that top tier, that number one, then I use the process of elimination method. If you're in a bookshop and you've got limited funds and two of your favourite authors have just released their newest novel, which one do you pick up? I have been in this situation personally a few times in the past and the author that happened to be my go-to happy place at that time was the one I went for. All of that being said... I am going to talk about a few of my must-buys in no particular order because while I do have favourites, they vary depending on my emotions at the time and what I've read most recently. As I've said, this is in no particular order. However, first on my list is the Queen of Historical Romance, Joanna Lindsay. Unfortunately, Joanna Lindsay did pass away back in 2019, which means there have obviously been no new books from her. However, she did leave behind an incredibly large collection of novels, 55 to be precise. So if you are inclined, you have a nice selection to choose from. I have a fair number on my shelves. Looking at it right now, the top three shelves are filled with Joanna Lindsay novels, And though the majority of them are historical, not always factually accurate, I have to say, but historical, one of the series that she wrote, and I do prefer, is actually probably closer to sort of smutty romantic science fiction. I'm talking about the Lysantere series, which starts with Warrior's Woman. In the year 2139, fearless Tedrida R sets out to rescue her beleaguered planet, Kystran, from the savage rule of the evil, Krad Samur. Experienced in combat but not in love, the beautiful untouched Amazon flies with Martha, her wise, cracking, free-thinking computer, to a world where warriors reign supreme, and into the arms of the one man she can never hope to vanquish, the bronzed barbarian Chalon Lysanter. A magnificent creature of raw yet disciplined desires, the muscle-bound primitive succeeds where no puny Kajstram male had before, igniting a raging fire within Tedra that must be extinguished before she can even think of saving her enslaved world. There are two other books in this series, Keeper of the Heart and Heart of the Warrior, which are based in the same realm and follow the twin son and daughter of Tedra and Challen. I have to be honest, I wasn't so keen on either of these, but I did love Tedra and Challen's story. In fact, I haven't reread it for a while, so it might be due for another journey off the shelves at some point very soon. Lindsay was also the author of the Mallory series, which soon became the Mallory Anderson series. I have two favourites in this particular one, Gentle Rogue, which is sort of an early, only one bed, enemies to lovers, mistaken identity type novel that takes place mostly on the high seas, where James Mallory, one of the older Mallory brothers, is actually a pirate, And the other is The Magic of You, which involves kidnapping, fake marriage, wedding at gunpoint and unrequited love. It's the story of Amy Mallory, James's niece, and Warren Anderson, one of Georgina's very overprotective American brothers. I'm not going to say that none of these are without their problems, because I am sure if you delve Deep enough, most novels have a few problematic issues, but if you take them at their Fabio on the cover face value, then they are the perfect historical romance escape. The original covers are a frequent commuter's absolute nightmare because they are incredibly obvious and... That said, though, they are beautifully done and the covers that made Fabio the household name he is today, you know, with the sweeping long blonde hair and the flowing clothing and the woman clinging to his front or his back or his leg, depending on the book you're looking at. However, he is the model for a large number of Gina Lindsay's covers, as well as the covers of multiple other authors from that particular era. Though I didn't buy many of Lindsay's later books, as I felt that the story, especially as far as the Mallory family was concerned, had become a little tired, she is still on my must-buy list for nostalgic reasons, and if there is a hole in my earlier collection, I do try and fill it by visiting charity shops and second-hand bookshops, especially in Brighton, which is the nearest location for decent second-hand bookstores for me
1: this is john from the podcast green cows don't fly and i'm here to give you a recommendation of an author whose books i wait impatiently for every time i know there's a new one coming and that author is a guy called chris brookmeyer and chris is from scotland former journalist who writes dark witty psychological fantastic thrillers These books are standalone, uh, or he has a series of characters which he revisits. Probably the most well-known one is a guy called Jack Parlourblaine. Parlourblaine's a freelance investigative journalist, and he's always hanging around some kind of big crime plot. The plots are absolutely fantastic, uh, involved, but brilliantly worked out and always resolved exceptionally well. Part of the style is to take some kind of thing that he sees wrong with society, and absolutely rip it to shreds, and he's brilliant at that. The modern cult of celebrity, like things like reality shows and so forth, uh, get an absolute pasting from time to time, and just reading those himself is a joy. Also, he can be quite political, uh, so if you're a vacillating, useless politician, look out. It might be too uncomfortable for you to read through one of his books. Chris himself is from Scotland, and a lot of his characters and plots are set in Scotland as well which makes a nice refreshing change from the everyday stuff that you might be reading. And if you'll forgive me the cliche uh, when recommending books, you pick up a Chris Brookmeyer book and you really will not put it down. They are unputdownable. Many's the time I've been up into the wee small r's for that very reason. Literally. The first of his books I read was one called A Big Boy Did It and Ran Away. And if you don't read any others, read that one. You'll love it. So that's my recommendation. Chris Brookmeyer. Check him out. And why not also check out our podcast, Green Cows Don't Fly, where every week co-presenter B and I have lots of fun reading a chapter and analysing our book, Written by AI.
0: Neil Gaiman is another of my must-buys. In fact, he is probably very, very close to the top of my must-buy list, though he doesn't release books as regularly as some of the other authors that appear on it. I bought my first Neil Gaiman book in 1991, and I honestly have to say, I thought that it was more recently than that. However, on studying my copy of Good Omens that he wrote with the incomparable Terry Pratchett, I discovered that was not the case at all. My copy has one of the oldest covers. It's a bit battered and bruised. It smells incredible. I am a book sniffer after all. Good itself has a bit of a cult status, and it's a book I will, admittedly, recommend to anyone, whether they ask me for a book recommendation or not. It's a fun story with many twists and turns along the way. It's cleverly written, and you can't tell where one author ends and the other begins. And for me, that's a perfect sign of an incredibly good collaboration. It's also a book that I have bought as gifts for people when they say, oh, yes, I'll read that. And six months later, they still haven't. So, oh, here's a copy. (laughs) I'm that kind of person. Yes, you haven't read the book I recommended. Here it is because it's good. Read it. Of course, Good Omens isn't Gaiman's only work. I recently read The Ocean at the End of the Lane for the first time. I know. Where have I been, right? (laughs) It's taken me a long time. There is something so enchanting and so magical about these worlds that Gaiman creates. Whether the actions within them are good or bad doesn't make his world-building skill any less incredible. I have talked about Neil Gaiman before and had chants from Strive, Seek, Find on so that we could both fans scream about it together, specifically Good Omens in this instance. If you want to know more about why I love him as an author, I will post the link to that episode in the notes.
2: Hello, friends. This is Chance from the Strive, Seek, Find podcast. Strive, Seek, Find is all about creating your own best life. From life lessons to amazing experiences, and even to learning about other people's passions and successes, Strive, Seek, Find will help provide you with the tools to seek your own brilliant future. Check out Strive, Seek, Find wherever you find your podcasts, including Spotify and Good Pods. I'd like to thank Ray for this opportunity to be part of our 100th episode for Being Bookish. As a longtime listener of Being Bookish, this is quite the honor. I thought of several authors I could point out as must-reads, but I decided to go with Jack McDevitt and his Alexander Benedict Chase Colpath series. It is every inch of science fiction series. It's set 9,000 years in the future and deals with the adventures of an antiquities dealer and his assistant slash pilot, who in later books is actually the narrator. What makes these must-reads, what gets me every time in these books, is the sense of wonder they produce in me. I mean, the mysteries are great, well-structured, well-paced, And so are the exciting near misses for the characters. But McDevitt's ability to make the universe feel as a big, beautiful mystery, even in the future, is exciting to me. And that makes every one of these books an absolute must-read. Do yourself a favor and pick up the first book, A Talent for War, whenever you have the opportunity. Thanks again, Ray. I really appreciate this opportunity. Congratulations on hitting this milestone.
0: Page Tune. Now, Page Tune is going to be the first of the contemporary romantic comedy chick lit authors that I'm going to talk about. There are a few that appear on my list at various points. I could talk about every single one of the books that she has written and at the moment I am doing a reread along with Page Toon and thousands of her fans in the run-up to the release of her next book which is 18 months in the making due to publication changes, a lot of Writing and everything else, and to be honest, I could wait two years for a book by her and not be disappointed because I love her writing. Anyway, the books that I'm gonna talk about here, there are four of them, vary completely. But one of the things I have to say I love about the way that she tells her stories is that you will find little Easter eggs throughout them. So, for example, in the sequel to Johnny Be Good, Baby Be Mine we first get introduced to Joseph Strike who is the main character in One Perfect Summer and we get his love story so all the way through the books you'll find little snippets and then you'll read another book and go oh that was a character in such and such and I love these little treasure trail journeys that you make as you read through the books. Now I've I've already mentioned Johnny B. Good. Well, I mentioned the sequel. Johnny B. Good came out in 2008. It's the perfect rock star romance, and I know that they are incredibly popular. In fact, they are one of my go tos. Yeah, sue me. They are one of my go tos when I want a romance that has glamour and glitz, but tor- torture and torment and twists and turns, and it isn't a case of everything ends happily ever after all the time because there are career aspects that go wrong and relationships just don't work for whatever reason. Johnny Be Good is very much like that. It starts off as a story about Meg, who goes to work for the rock star Johnny Jefferson as his personal assistant. They get closer, they get involved. She then meets his best friend, Christian. They start a relationship and... Then it ends when Meg leaves Johnny for the last time and she's starting a new life with Christian. Of course, there is a sequel, and then there is a short story and, and a trilogy of stories after that. So there is this is essentially a five and a half book series within all of the stories that Page Toon has written. But Johnny Be Good was the first one. The second book that I love, and I actually enjoy this one far more than Johnny Be Good, is "One Perfect Summer," which came out in 2016. It is the story of teenage love that doesn't quite work out for whatever reason when they're teenagers. and then when they've both found their place to be, uh, Joe become Joe. The main male character becomes an actor. He becomes incredibly famous, very wealthy. Alice goes to university. She meets someone. They get married, and then she meets Joe again. And it's the story of what happens that le- everything that leads up to that moment when they re meet, they reunite. And the fallout from the realisation that Alice is actually married. The next one is Someone I Used to Know, which came out last year. And it's the story of Emily and George, who were brought up for a certain portion of their childhoods. They were brought up together. George was a foster child in Emily's home. And they became close friends, but Emily gets married to another of their close friends. George has, at that point, already left the foster home and moved on, and it's what happens when he comes back. It made me cry a lot because it all starts at a funeral and it made me cry (laughs) a lot it's a fantastic story and it's what made me realize when the announcement came out that the next page tune wasn't being released until 2023 I realized I could wait for the next one because I could reread the others (laughs) if you could go anywhere is my favorite I have talked about it already. I've actually got an episode on this particular book and I've got a review on my website. It was released in 2019 and is the story of Angie and Alessandro, though it is really Angie's coming-of-age tale. She discovers, uh, after her grandmother passes away... She discovers the identity of her father, something that she wasn't made aware of before her mother passed when she was very young and she was left to be raised by her grandparents who decided to keep anything about her true parentage from her. She then discovers a letter that her grandparents didn't send from her mother when she discovered she was pregnant. And it starts her on a journey of self-discovery, which leads her to Italy and meeting her father for the first time. I have to say that I read this when it came out. I was reading it on the bus and I cried the entire journey to work. I cried continually as I was walking from the bus stop to the office and had to (laughs) excuse myself to the toilet so I could clean my face and stop crying because it's that moving it is a fantastic book and if when I recommend page tune I always say now go in with that one that's the first one to start with because for me that is perfect it is my favorite book of all of hers
3: So, my must-buy author is Anthony Horowitz. I started getting into his novels when I was a kid, uh, as he's written both children and adult books. I loved his Diamond Brother series growing up, highly recommend people get their kids into it. Uh, They're very engaging to read, and a brilliant way to start them on a path of lots of detective novels, which is the case for me. Obviously, he's well-known for his Alex Rider series, sort of child James Bond in essence, although I've never actually read them, I very much moved on to his adult books. As I've grown up, I can recommend his Hawthorne and Horowitz series, a murder mystery series written uh, in the first person uh, as if based on true events. I'll be starting another one of his books very soon on my to-read list called The Magpie Murders, which I've heard great things about, so looking forward to that. Uh, I think another reason I'm quite fond of him is he's quite a versatile writer. He's famous for having started or contributed to all sorts of British TV shows like *Midsummer Murders and and overall he's just a marvellous enjoyable writer and I strongly recommend people check him out
0: Julie Garwood (laughs) where do we go with Julie Garwood she is or was a historical romance author and time was she was my go-to I bought a stack of books in a charity shop one year when I traveled to the U.S. And half of them were actually books I struggled to get in the UK. And that's that's where things were. You may not remember, but that's where things were before Amazon came on the scene. It was really hard to get certain books that weren't printed by publishers in the UK. They cost a lot more if you did manage to find a supplier. There was one in Brighton, but there wasn't anything locally for me. And I used to desperately search and when I had friends who were based in the US when a book would come out by an author that I'd been introduced to for whatever reason or I'd managed to find a copy in a library that was very rare I would ask them to ship me the books if I wasn't going to go out to the states at any point in the near future many of my Julie Garwood books are for that actual reason a little bit torn a little bit rough around the edges But to me, that just proves that they are well-loved and I can attest to the fact that they are frequently read. As much as I love Joanna Lindsay, for me, Julie's historical novels, especially those based in the Scottish Highlands, are my all-time favourites, especially the series that starts with The Secret and Ransom, with Ransom being up there, really up there. The stories of Brodick and Gillian and Judith and Ian are not without roadblocks. The path of true love is complicated and there is a lot of battle, fighting, death and jealousy thrown into the mix. A lot of the politics of the time are subtly hinted at but they're not blatantly mentioned because I think that would take away something from the romance of the books. Because there were, during this particular era, a lot of political issues between England and Scotland. Not that there aren't now, but in those days it ended in a lot of wars. Sadly though, for me at least, not so much for readers who like the new genre she has gone to, Though she is still writing, she hasn't released anything historical since 2007 when the novel Shadow Music, which actually is a sequel to the tales of Brodick and Gillian and Ian and Judith, it was published. She turned to what I call the dark side when it comes to romance authors. She is now writing thrillers.
4: Hi, everybody. My name is Jay Hall, and I host the Oki Bookcast, a podcast committed to helping curious readers like you find your next great read. One of my must buy authors is John Scalzi. Scalzi is a science fiction author, probably best known for his Old Man's War series or the more recent Interdependency trilogy. His most recent book is a standalone thriller called The Kaiju Preservation Society, which is exactly what it sounds like a group of people dedicated to studying and protecting huge dinosaur-like monsters called Kaiju. Think about Godzilla and you're on the right track. A couple of things I love about Scalzi's work, first of all, it leans towards hard science fiction, but he has the ability to make potentially complicated concepts accessible to everyone without talking down to anyone. He creates worlds that feel possible and real and are also a ton of fun to explore. Which brings me to the other thing that I love about Scalzi, he's genuinely funny. He writes characters and situations with a ton of humor and sarcasm, and he also makes sure we know he's in on the joke with wild books like Kaiju Preservation Society and Red Shirts, a book about the expendable ensigns that always join Star Trek away parties, often with bad results. If you like science fiction that is smart, funny, and finds humanity in the midst of some very alien situations, I think you'll enjoy John Scalzi. You can find out more about Scalzi and his work at whatever.scalzi.com. Yes, that's his actual website, whatever.scalzi.com. Check him out.
0: The next author on my list is one who has only released a couple of books so far. However, I have them. I have them on Kindle. I have them in paperback, and if I could find a decent, ver- decent copy, I would probably have them in hardback as well. And that is the author Madeline Miller, who seems to have picked the one genre that it's really hard to find amazing books in, and that is Greek mythology. I'm not saying that there aren't a lot of books out there in that particular genre, however, finding them of this calibre for me personally. Is really hard. The Song of Achilles came out in 2011, and I didn't realize it was that long ago. It was one of the books that I purchased with a, I think, a birthday voucher at some point on my Kindle, and I wasn't sure what I was, whether I was going to like it or not. But I loved it, and I think I've read it now f- three or four times. Then in 2013, she released a short story called Galatea. It's recently been republished and reprinted in 2022 as a hardback collector's copy. And in Miller's own words, this was the bridge between the Song of Achilles and what she was at that point in time writing, which ended up being Circe, which was released in 2018. My personal view on this is that Circe is the superior book, but that is my view, and I know that a lot of people feel very differently about it. I've seen so many comments saying that, oh, the Song of Achilles was amazing, but I couldn't read Circe, I couldn't get through it, and in the reverse, oh, I loved Circe, but I couldn't finish the Song of Achilles When does the story pick up? I think the thing with Miller is that her stories are incredibly detailed. They are very well researched. Not saying that a lot of authors don't research their work to the nth degree because they probably do. But these books, there's just something about the characters that really speaks to me as an individual. So if somebody said, oh, I'm really looking for a book that's slightly different, I would say pick up CSE. It is a wonderfully written book. It's not too long, it's not too short, and the characters are very well developed.
5: Hi, Ray. It's Michael from the Silver Screen Savers podcast. Thank you for doing this episode and for always making being bookish so amazing. My must-buy author is Kazuo Ishiguro, who's written several incredible books, such as a Pale View of Hills, The Buried Giant, Never Let Me Go, and The Remains of the Day, which is one of my top favorite books ever. I love that Ishiguro's writing celebrates how all the small, intimate, and seemingly inconsequential moments of our lives often mean the most and are the ones we keep returning to over time, especially ones where we struggle to connect with those we love most. He uses memory like no one else, how false it is, how we mix up elements of our past, our questioning of our own histories... He packs a world of complicated emotion into entirely readable stories that I can go back to over and over and over. His characters are so real, he's funny, which is an underrated quality in authors, and he just captures me entirely. I don't buy a lot of new books, though I wish I could. However, Ishiguro is not only a new buy, he is a pre-order for me every time. I just wish I didn't have to wait several years between his books. Luckily, I can reread the old ones. Thanks again.
0: I said that there are lots of authors on this list and I wasn't lying. (laughs) I've already gone through a few. However, these are authors that I will still occasionally pre-order and I do buy regularly. Jenny Colgan. I still buy her books. She writes the lighter books. They are based in Devon, Cornwall, Scotland and they are now far more series focused. She's an author that I tend to buy more as an ad hoc thing. I do have her last and most recent few on my TBR, but for some reason I haven't rushed to read them over anything else, especially the newer books that I keep on buying and arrive every day. That's not to say that I don't enjoy her books any longer, but I am in a different phase with my reading. My favourite books by her remain a couple of her earlier ones, Do You Remember the First Time, which has a sort of contemporary Peggy Sue Got Married vibe about it, and Rosie Hopkins' Sweet Shop of Dreams. I think this was the point where every book she wrote started to have a food connection, but this one is a book that I have purchased for my sister, and for a friend, after reading it, because it was so beautifully written. It was very moving, and also a story that had the feel-good factor that I think most people want from a book. Jill Mansell. I have probably 90% of the books that Jill has written. Most of them are on my Kindle, Though in recent years I have returned to the buy a new book in hardback mode that I was in in my 20s. Especially since I have more room for bookcases. And I could probably fit another one in somewhere thinking about how big my TBR is right now. Every year in January another thud on the doorstep is the next book from Jill Mansell. And while I love them all, for me peak Jill will probably always be To the Moon and Back, which came out in 2011. This is another book that I have previously talked about in length, so I'm not going to retell the story for you because I think you're probably going, no, I've already heard it. So I'm going to just link that episode in the notes.
6: Hi everyone, my name's Andrew. Uh, I wanted to say how thrilled I am that Ray has given us the opportunity to say a few words for the 100th episode. I'm a huge fan of the Being Bookish podcast and I've listened to it for a while. So Ray has asked us to talk about our favourite authors, but I find it really difficult because I've got so many that I couldn't pinpoint uh, specifically. So I thought I would tell you about an author that I only discovered in lockdown. And I've been hooked on ever since. So Sunday Times bestselling author Louise Candlish was born in Northumberland, moved to London to study English and still there. Uh, She's written 15 books, including Our House, which is the winner of the British Book Awards 2019 Crime Thriller Book of the Year. Uh, So I picked up my first book, which is The Other Passenger in Lockdown 2020. And that's a tale of, you know, adultery, double crossing, Uh, It's set amongst the Thames River commuters. It's full of twists and shock reveals throughout. So finishing that one, instantly, as you do, I went on to Amazon and ordered myself a back catalogue, including Those People, uh, which is about kind of disastrous neighbours, The Swimming Pool, The Second Husband, uh, and obviously Our House, which is now a four-part ITV drama um Louise really grips me from page one there's normally a, a kind of huge pull me in moment right at the very beginning which grips me and then I love I love that kind of you know pull me in uh even Louise's latest release the heights that came out last year didn't disappoint another gripping thriller um based on a tale of her mother's revenge And Louise's writing for me is really the definition of, you know, just one more chapter, I'll just read one more page. Uh, And that for me is what a really good thriller writer is, which is why I get through them so quickly. Um, I've got so many books in my uh, to be read pile from Louise and I'm working my way through them. So if you want to know what I think or what I read, um, you know, head over to WordPress and I'm on there as ARL Books. Or head over to Twitter where I'm A underscore R-N-D-R-E-W underscore Reads. So, you know, say hello, share the book, club, uh, which is great. So I'll let you get back to the 100th episode. Thanks again, Ray, and congratulations on your 100th episode.
0: It may sound like I only ever read flat romance. When it comes to the fantasy genre, I have to look at Kelly Armstrong, who I was first introduced to as an author back when she was doing her own promo, managing her own forums and interacting with readers online a lot. Yes, this was the early noughties, 2001 to be precise, and Eleanor and Clay were just being introduced to the world in the book Bitten. The story arc for these two characters ended in 2013, but it was a pretty decent run. I mean, it was 12 years, and I did enjoy every single bit of it, and they are, the first few books at least, are ones that I revisit on the regular. Sherilyn Kenyon. She's another fantasy, romance, sci-fi-ish author. Where to start? I fell in love with her central character, Akiron, when I read the first in her Dark Hunter series back in 2002. Though I do still revisit these Greek mythology-inspired books every once in a while, and I think the series is still going on with dream hunters or dream walkers. I haven't purchased any of her books since 2008. That's not saying I don't want to read them, but I just don't want to buy them anymore because they've been so hit and miss or at least the later ones have been hit and miss i have read i think i read sticks in 2013 but they are now far more repetitive than they were i think that the the series is getting a bit tired unfortunately as i've always been a reader there are books from my childhood and the return to childhood phase I had in the early 1990s when I was in my early 20s. One go-to author when I was looking for some escapism has always been L.J. Smith. She is the woman who wrote the original Vampire Diaries series and The Secret Circle, but my favourite book by her remains one in her unfortunately unfinished decology, The Night World, and that is Daughters of Darkness. Ash is a teenage vampire and Mary Lynette is a teenage girl on the verge of incredible experiences. But when they meet, sparks fly. She is his soulmate, but Ash knows that to claim her will put her life in danger. To find out what happens, you will have to read the book, but I will say that it's fine as a standalone. No, really, it kind of has to be, since the final book was originally due for release in 1999 and... It still hasn't come out. And also, I have to clarify, it's not at all like the love story of Edward and Bella. There are no sparkles here. Though the series is fine without the ending, if it came out, I have to admit, I would probably be there like a shot. So how are things in the bookish household this week well it's been a pretty good week to be fair last week was interesting and I got the opportunity to speak with a fantastic author AJ West seriously his book is now out The Spirit Engineer is now released in paperback so head to your local bookshop and if they haven't got it ask them to order it in because it's really worth reading go and listen to that episode and you'll find out more about the story and you'll probably be even more intrigued. This week started off amazingly. I know that I have in the past talked about finances and how mental health can sometimes kind of affect how you spend your money and your lack of control and it definitely did for me. It affected how I control my spending. I have grown a little better at controlling it not 100% and I probably never will be it's like everything swings and roundabouts however at the beginning of this week I received notification that after 14 years I have finally paid off all the debt I built up in my 20s it's taken 14 years of being under the control of people who monitor my spending, having to justify when I buy things. I even had to justify getting a cat six years ago when I got Darcy, who I've had for six years in August. And I wasn't able to do anything. I was under the monitoring of an organization, as anybody will be able to tell you when they get into debt. I had to justify everything. I had to send in pay slips I had to show them bank account details and everything else and any spare money had to go to them I finally got notification on Monday it's over finally over that was one huge weight off my mind of course now I've got the now that's gone I've got to maintain and rein in my spending myself so that I think I will struggle with. However, I am determined I now have the tools. I have better tools at my, at my disposal to manage it. So I'm going to work my hardest in order to do so. Of course, that's the good side of this week. As was realizing that I was going to be recording my 100th episode. The bad side of this week. My sugar levels are through the flipping roof it's made me tired, it's made me irritable, it's made me feel quite sick, my mouth is very dry so if I if you hear any noises I apologize, I am drinking water like it's going out of fashion and it's not helping, I've got dry skin, (laughs) all the, the wonderful symptoms that you don't want to hear about, all of those things, everything that you associate with oh that happens before you get diabetes, no If you're changing medications, it happens then as well. So my mouth is very dry, my lips are cracking, and I feel very tired and quite sick. I am doing my best with my diet. However, until my medication gets sorted out, which will happen next week and I cannot wait, it's just a case of put up and shut up or rather put up and then moan about it on your podcast. All of that said, I think it kind of was eclipsed by the fact that I have good enough news from the beginning of the week that's going to last me through. I even have some money. For the first time in forever, I have got some money that I don't have to justify. But I keep on then sitting there and going, I the first thing I did when I got that money was pay off a loan that I had from my mum. The next thing I did was go on to Amazon and order a load of books. And thank you to everybody who posted a recommendation or a suggestion on my Twitter post about books to read. Yeah, that that kind of got out of control a little bit. I didn't realize it was like asking for a podcast recommendation when you asked for a book rec, because that is probably my most popular post on Twitter in the history of my use of Twitter, which comes up to two years next month. So thank you to everybody who posted a recommendation or saw it and liked it well that's it for this week thank you to everyone who has contributed and made this episode and the last 99 amazing and here's to the next 100 if you like what you hear why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on good pods spotify or podchaser you can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish and on Instagram at beingbookishpod. Or you can check out my website beingbookish.co.uk. It's finally back up, running and has been updated. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week and the next book is calling me. So until next time, this is me saying farewell.